Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to A Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins, and this show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. We're very grateful for all the teammates over at Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs, and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. Other sponsors that we are very grateful for and are handpicked, and we will discuss them throughout the show. Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. All right, so let's recap our last show. Last show we had Coach Dave Archer on. He is the Executive Director of the National High School Basketball Coaches Association and the Coaches Association out of New York, and we talked a little bit about uh, what he is seeing as a trend. He's also on the National Basketball Coaches Association um, as you know, he's with all of the college coaches, and he, we talked a little bit about some of the issues that are going on at the high school level, some at the collegiate level. Um, it was a great interview. If you missed it, you can go to a coachesperspective.com and listen to it, or you can find it on Apple, Spotify, Verbal, or on Helium Satellite Radio. All right, so we are going to get to our in-studio guests. I'm very excited to have someone that I've admired for a long time as an educator, as a coach. Um, he has done some tremendous things. It's only an hour show, so I'm going to give the the highlights, but I, I could go on and on. So I want to first welcome Dr. Jerry Masterson into the studio. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, and I'm glad to catch up. Yes, me too, me too. Um, so let's talk some highlights, all right? Uh, you you ran track and field at Wachita Baptist University, and I love the fact that you, um, you, you excelled at uh, the 400 and the 800 and the mile and some middle distance and some long distance, but that's not what you went to went to do when you went into college track, correct, track and field? Well, I'll give you a Reader's Digest version. So I grew up in South America, and uh, they didn't have, during the 70s, you don't have coaches that come down and fly down to South America and watch people you know, right. run or train or anything like that. And I wanted to play soccer, but soccer wasn't as big in the U.S. So I played soccer, and I played flag football, and we played against the Mormon missionaries, and we played, that's how we played football, because there was no one to play football against. So... Um, I wanted to go to school, and so I started writing letters, and one of the coaches from Washita sent me a flyer and said, uh, well, would you like to run track? And I said, well, I've never done it before, so let's go out. And so he said, well, how fast do you run the quarter? How fast do you, how long do you uh, long jump? How high do you high jump? So I went out and did them, and it was on a cinder track about 13,000 feet in La Paz, Bolivia, and first uh, 400 around was about 50.1, 50.2. Oh, my goodness. And so he said, come on down and you can come and run for our team right and then the stellar career uh is born um you're in three halls of fame you're in the Wachita baptist university sports hall of fame the arkansas track and field hall of fame and the national association intercollegiate athletics hall of fame and you know you've qualified for the olympics trials twice i mean that's incredible in itself and i i just think um you know, the different ways that you um, exhibited yourself in college and then carried that on afterward. You still have a love for running. You have a love of coaching. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. You were an All-American for three years. I mean, I could keep going on and on, right? Um, incredible. But so, you know, your your best time um, in the 800 meters, which was ranked around top 10 in the world, was a 145.76. It's close enough, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. What in the world? I That is amazing to me. Um, and we'll talk a little bit later. We're going to talk some about, um, you know, the mentality of running. But but we were talking earlier before the show started about Roger Bannister and how, you know, he no one can break the four-minute mile. Nobody can break the four-minute mile. He does it, and the mindset start to change. 
Well, you have done that as well. So what is your best mile time? Oh, I ran under four minutes, um, but the metric mile, so the equivalent, so about a 358. Oh uh, but that goodness. wasn't my uh, my I'm tired, event, my sport. Right. <laughs> but most of the time when I was in Europe, a lot of times, being an 800-meter runner, we'd run rabbit. So I was privileged enough to run rabbit for uh, Sebastian Coe and those people when they set world records. I was in the uh, – I didn't win the race at the, in, in Bulgaria when the collegiate uh, – thing was like the Olympics and the university, World University Games. So I got to see Roberto Juan Torreno set the world record, and I was like fourth behind him, so I got to watch him set it. So. Oh, my goodness. But it was just a mesmerizing watching. It was, just, it was mesmerizing watching how all of a sudden he could accelerate. Right. And then I was in a race in uh, England with uh, Sebastian Coe, and right with him, ready to set the American record, and all of a sudden he just takes off. And so I missed the American record by a tenth or, tenth or so of a second. That is incredible. That's incredible. A lot of fun. Um, And and I want to talk a little bit. um, We're going to talk. We're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about a new graduate program or a way to um, receive your graduate degree at Missouri State University. Um, But before we get to that, I want to continue talking a little bit about you know what is it that you love about running? What does it do for you? I mean, were you chased a lot as a child? What is (laughs) what is it that you love about it? Um. To be honest with you, growing up in South America, I fell in love with soccer. And in soccer, you basically are running close to five miles when you're running back and forth and uh, playing uh, back or midfielder, that kind of a thing. Uh, my nickname in uh, Spanish was Pata Chueca, which meant crooked foot because they just told me to kick the ball out of bounds when I was in the backfield. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's where I probably got my love for running. And then um, I – I'll tell you how naive I was, and a lot of the cross-country coaches out there are going to laugh about this, but uh, I came into Washtenaw Baptist, and I always ran. My running weight was 175, so I was big, but I had like 3% body fat when I got to that point. But when I came to my freshman year, I was probably about 180, and my uh, coach said, listen, we want to get you in cross-country, then we'll get some of this weight off you, and then we'll put you in long jump, high jump, and so forth. So I said, we're out there running, we're training, and he just says, stay with that guy. I said, okay, coach says, stay with that guy. I stay with him. And then uh, I remember the very first uh, race that we had, we are getting ready to start, and I'm, we're jogging around the field and so forth, and I asked one of the, my teammates, said, do you run cross-country in heats? And they just died laughing. Oh, my goodness. I said, what do you mean do you run cross-country? That's how naive I was right. cross-country, my first cross-country race. <laughs> there you go. I love it. <laughs> well, to to be successful, I mean, to be able to have this um, this experience that you have had, I know that you have taken from a lot of different runners, and plus yourself, and you've developed a philosophy to help coach running. Um, what are some of the skills that someone needs to be a successful runner? Well, um, besides an iron lung. Well, the iron <laughs> lung. You. So, I would say I, I, I talk about two different philosophies. I have a sprinter mentality, which is credit card, pay it now, can, you know, because it's, they get it in certain instant gratification. Right. Most of your long-distance runners, and um, they have a tenacity because they know they have to put in miles and miles and miles and miles to be good, which actually is good for them later on in life because whatever job they go to, they bring that to the table as well right. because they've learned that, they've been able to do that, they have to put in 10 miles in the morning, maybe 5 miles in the evening, going back and forth, whichever uh, you know, if you were uh, some places, some coaches want you to do uh, 100 miles a week. I don't really recommend that in high school, but they build you up to that. Um, so, yeah, if you're doing that many 
and you, you know you're out there you got to find something to do with your mind right. <laughs> so right. you kind of you know play games that kind of thing sure I, I found that place to be my solace mm-hmm. of where i could you know just kind of meditate a little bit and if mm-hmm. i was having a fight with my girlfriend or something like that i would go over all the stuff that right? was where i was in and yeah i remember going down a 17 mile run one time I, mean, I was supposed to be on a 10 mile i ended up 17 miles out from the university and i went I can go 17 miles back. There's a gas station up there, and I can apologize to my girlfriend and get right. a ride home. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll apologize and get a ride. Right, home. <laughs> <Yeah>. love that. <laughs> All right, so you, uh, you know, you have also you, you've trained a lot of runners um, in your coaching career that we'll talk about a little bit later too. But also, you're training marathon runners. Um, what does that training even look like? I mean, you, you know, you mentioned 100 miles a week, but I mean. What does that training look like, or is it individualized? It's totally individualized. If you've got somebody that can run, you know, 210, 205, you know, running 450, 430 minute miles. This is all at once, right? Yeah, well, you know, you run one after the one after the one. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Versus a person, I'm training a couple people right now, they're trying to break three minutes. I mean, three three hours. Three hours. Okay. Okay. And so their training is going to look a lot different because their pace is is a lot different. I remember... um, my daughter was in, in high in college, and she's running at uh, Arkansas. And I was talking to some of the kids, and they were uh, looking at all these training methods. I tell people, you can look at training methods, but design them for yourself. Right. So they're looking at these Kenyan training methods, right? And they're out going on an easy run, a 10-mile easy run, but they're at 5.30 pace. Okay? So these guys are going out, and they're doing an easy run at 5.30 pace, and they're dead the next day for the hard workout. And they couldn't figure out why. So we start talking about, well, what is your fastest mile? What is that Kenyan over there fast and loud that's running at that fast, that you're watching his workouts? Right. Well, he's running a 410, 415 mile, or maybe in four flat. Your, your PR is 440. So when he's running 530, the distance between his PR and what he's training at or running easy at is quite a bit, where you're within 15, 20 seconds of your best. Right. So you're going to be dead. So basically getting people to understand that you train at a percentage of what your, your best is. Like so one of the kids I'm working with right now, their best work started off at 6.30. My goal is to bring them down to like 5.50, 5.45, but we do that slowly. A lot of mathematics. Mm-hmm. A lot of mathematics, trying to figure that out. And I like the individualized approach. I think that's that's definitely brilliant. Um, I'm a big believer in differentiated motivation and, and implementation of, of different training methods. All right, so we're, we're going to take our first break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the possibility of getting a graduate degree in an okay. alternative way at Missouri State. Well, not an alternative, a new way um, at Missouri State University. And then we're going to talk a little bit more, and I'm going to keep picking your brain about running. Okay. <laughs> All right, we want to thank Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. I'll be right back with Dr. Gary Masterson. A coach's perspective. Again, I'm Jenny Hopkins, and I have Dr. Jerry Masterson is joining us this evening. We're talking, uh, well, we've been picking your brain about running and track and field, and we're going to continue to do so, but we're going to take a little bit of a, um, you know, a detour, if you will. Um, but first, we're going to talk about how grateful we are for Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment. Highland Dairy is owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact. Scientific studies, professional dietitians, the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. They're a proud sponsor 
of a coach's perspective. All right, so we're we're here with um, Dr. Jerry Masterson. I, I like to say Coach Masterson because that's where my brain goes when I think of you. I like that. As, as a coach, um, you know, we're, we, we've been talking about running. We're going to continue that. But as a detour, um, at Missouri State University, you are you also work um, with graduate programs. I want you to explain a little bit about um, what is happening um, with this new opportunity. And this could be for any student. Um, this is a sports show, so it also could be for potentially for athletes that in their eligibility, and maybe they don't know what they're going to do next. And this is a good opportunity for them to get a graduate degree. So um, I think I told you before, so I could give you the Reader's Digest version, but I'll give you a little <laughs> yeah. bit longer story. So um, coaching, one of my jobs at Missouri State, I was an exercise scientist, but your father, um, uh, Dr. Burnett, and I, he brought me to his office one day and said, would you do a sport management program? So I decided to do the sport management program and uh, decided to put them online, and it was one of the first ones online at Missouri State. Went from there to do the Master's of Professional Studies, and then we went into the Graduate Interdisciplinary Programs, and then we went international. And then... uh, I can remember being in my office one day, and we had the MPS Master of Professional Studies program, and they had these two pe- people, they were in their mid-40s, something like that. Uh, they were wearing motorcycle gear, and they came in, and they asked me, uh, can we get into the graduate program? And I said, I would love to get you in my graduate program. So we started talking about it, and then we looked at their GPAs. Well, their GPAs were like 2.6, 2.7. So I said, you know, you have to have a 3.0 to get into graduate school. And they, I said, we have an alter, alternative to do this, and the alternative is to take three classes as a non-degree-seeking student. Okay? But the problem with that is that you didn't get no financial aid. And so they said, we'd love to do it, but we need to get financial aid. So that really kind of broke my heart. And I remember coaching at uh, Ole Miss. I was coaching at Ole Miss, and we had an open-door policy. And an open-door policy meaning there was no ACT, SAT scores required. And because of that, we were giving athletes a chance. So I've always wanted to give people a chance to go to graduate school. And so we finally came up with this idea, and we took the GPA requirement off. We could find a, found a way to take the GPA requirement off a certificate. So the MPS certificate, which is part of the MPS degree, so it's a 12-hour certificate, does not require a GPA. It requires just an undergraduate degree. And we did that, and it was just prior to the uh, COVID hitting. Well, COVID was a blessing in some ways for us because what happened was then when it happened and you got the five years, the athletes got five years, we started getting a lot of graduate transfers, and the graduate transfers were looking for a program, but none of them had a GPA to get into school, get into graduate school, and they had to get into graduate school. So we, they started coming to our program, and uh, so we were able to bring them in that way because you think about it, you got – I, we, my wife just came back from a conference, and it was a, it was a conference in Denver, and the uh, was all about grad deans. And one of the grad deans' sons was playing soccer. And she said, all he does is travel all the time. Well, think about how much these kids travel at the university. And they're told to just stay eligible. What does eligible mean? Right. 2.5, 2.4, and you're eligible to play. But if you want to keep going on for your education, you have to have a 3.0. Okay. So when we developed this, we were allowed to let these people come in to get their graduate degree. They take 12 hours. They can get a scholarship. The NCAA approved it so they could come in and do this. And then if they pass and they get a 3.0, we move them right into the master's degree. Okay? Well, we started doing that for the public. Okay? Anybody. So my thought and what I was like to tell people, you know, your, your audience is, you know, if you're a coach out there who only wanted to, who, who did everything they could and just stayed eligible, 
Well, the opportunity is here for you to go to graduate school. You apply for the NPS certificate. You get your 3.0. You can be put right into a uh, graduate program. And you say, what happened to some of the athletes? We had one athlete, football athlete, that came in, got injured, transferred, had completed nine hours, had a 3.0. And then he contacted us again and said, I'm taking another class. I'm going to transfer it back to you. He got the certificate, and they took that certificate and applied it for his degree in um, uh, Texas A&M. So he finished his master's degree in Texas A&M. So this it's just an opportunity that we've I always feel that people need a chance. And if right. you get a chance, who knows where you're right. going. And, and I think the, the thing that's interesting to me, we actually did a whole series on this show once on the identity crisis sometimes that college athletes go through after their eligibility is up. You know, I've been this great football player, I've been this baseball player, I've been this basketball, you know, whatever your sport is, and they, they identify with that. And then all of a sudden their eligibility is up, mm-hmm. and, you know, the coaches have moved on, a new recruiting class comes in, and they're like, well, wait a minute, what do we do? I've got to go get a job. What am I? And so if they don't know what to do, and maybe they do want to stay around, I mean, this is a great opportunity for them to get a graduate degree, to be able to to stay in that in, in higher education and, and be able to, to continue educating themselves. Well, what's really nice, say, for example, you want to get a graduate assistantship. Well, you can't get it without a 3.0. That's the right. rule. You take the, you take the certificate. You get your 3.0. Now you apply for a GA ship in one of the ones in football, basketball, whatever else. Right. And if you get hired, now we can hire you. Right. Yes. And you can get in coaching. Get into coaching. Um, and then tell us a little bit about the expansion into the community for graduate assistantships. And, and if a lot of people aren't familiar with graduate assistantships, um, graduate assistant um, works in a department on campus. Let's mm-hmm. give just, you know, a, a, a random example. They'll work for a department on campus or they could be, you know, coaching. Um, that department pays, you know, them a stipend for the semester and then the graduate school, they, they are able to get their master's paid for. Exactly. Right. And so they work 20 hours a week. Um, so now that is expanding into the community, which is very Well, so again, coming up with the idea, give people opportunities and then to expand opportunities for students. So if I'm a GA and I'm working in, you know, the registrar's office, I'm just shuffling papers and copying papers and answering the phone. So we came up with is an idea that community GAs. So we have one working at Bass Pro. We have Cox Health. We have um, Springfield Green County Health Department. So what we do is we partner with them. They pay for the stipend. They pay for the students' uh, fees, just like we would. Mm -hmm. They give it to the university. They're they're working for the university, so we pay them, but they're working for whoever, Springfield Green County or whatever. And now they're getting real-world experience. And so now they're working in a place what – so, um, for example, we have an uh, architectural firm that is looking for people, and they know everything about architectural stuff, but they don't know anything about uh, media. So they're looking for a communications person. Right. So we've got four or five people who are applying for the position, so they write a job description. We send it out to students on campus. They apply to my office. I take those things and send it to them. Then they interview the student, mm-hmm. and then it's a, basically a two years of uh, you get a, a student for two years, and it's an extended interview process. Right. And if you like the student, they hire them. Yes. That's but a, it's a it's wonderful opportunity to get outside incredible. of the university. It is an incredible opportunity. Okay, so if somebody's listening, you, you, and they are like, oh, my goodness, I need more information on this. I, um, I definitely want to do this, or I know somebody that would want to do this. How can they find out more information? Just email me at jerrymasterson at missouristate.edu. All right. And if they're in, a business is interested in hiring a G, they can do the same thing. Okay, Jerry Masterson at MissouriState.edu. Yeah, I'd like to see my mailbox full. Right? Wouldn't that be great? (laughs) 
No, and it's a great opportunity for businesses as well. And there's levels of payment for the GAs. And it's you're not paying for health care benefits or anything. You're just paying a basic stipend in the, the it is. It's it's wonderful. And and to be able to, you know, the student is also getting a great resume building opportunity Absolutely. by going into the community and let alone the networking that that's creating. Well, what's interesting is, so we have some international students that are working in some of the places too. So in order for compliance to happen, they have to have an educational experience attached to it. So we have a Blackboard site, which they have to reflect on what they're doing. And I've been reading some of their reflections and oh my goodness, some, one of them that is at remanufacturing place is just talking about how she's learning all these new things and, and she is a uh, project management student and she has been given a project to help redesign their um, networking yeah that's incredible and so you know that's much better than sitting there pushing papers in in an office someplace right yes definitely although you do you get your school paid for <laughs> that's right well you do that's the thing i mean you want financial aid i mean that's the yeah. way to do it is to get your school paid for and, and to be able to network and build that resume and i mean what a great opportunity to be able to expand from the campus into the community that's as well so i know a lot of the community departments that have graduate assistants are so grateful for them i mean they're so grateful for their experience and um and now to be able to expand that community yeah, and this is different. So people get this a little confused with an internship and the other. An internship generally lasts an department and usually lasts a semester. Right. And a student learns. And most of the time in an internship, it's mostly observation. Mm-hmm. In this, they're getting nitty-gritty down and dirty with the, with the right. job. Yes, love that. I love that. All right, well, we're going to take our next break. Um, and remember, Jerry Masterson at MissouriState.edu if you're interested more on this program, whether you're a business or you're a potential graduate student. Yes. Um, I want to thank Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment, along with Greg and Melinda Burnett, as they support local and thoughtful radio. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with Coach Masterson. Um, up, and I, and we may, we're going to turn the corner, you know, maybe turn left, if there's a turn left, track and field. And we're going to continue talking uh, track and field and, and running. I'm, I have so many questions. I'm not even sure we're going to get to them all, but we will do our best. <laughs> okay, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. Hey, this segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Board and Bolivar. They know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, they know service. They know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. You've got to give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They will take care of you. Uh, They will do a coast-to-coast search and find exactly what you're looking for in your price range. Give them a call at 417-326-7600. We also want to thank West Logging for sponsoring this segment, westlogging.com. Contact Danny West for a free consultation. He's going to treat your land like his own. And we're also very appreciative of Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance. So we're back with Dr. Jerry Masterson, or what I like to say is Coach Masterson. Um, And I want to talk a little bit, um, we mentioned it in the first segment, and we talked about Roger Bannister, how he he broke the four-minute mile for the first time, right? Um, And it was on May 6, 1954, right? Mm-hmm. Is that correct? No, yes. Now, nobody thought that it was possible. Nobody's going to break that, right? Which you have already, you've already broken that. But that mentality shift um, was so powerful. It's one of the best examples that, that, that I talk about um, when it comes to the mental part of sports. So tell me a little bit about what you think that was and what that, that did to you know, the track and field community when he, when he broke that. Well, I think what happens is when somebody does it, they start looking at the training methods that that person's using, and they start looking at what they did. Because, you know, back in that time, um, you had, uh, what is it? Um, 
older Swedish guy that used to, he would go out and train and hold his breath till he passed out. Things like that. So they all had all these, well, has all, the, all these bizarre <laughs> kinds of training yeah. methods and so forth. Well, you start looking at these kind of things and you start adapting them. And when people start adapting them and they just start training like that person, then you have somebody. We always said, I think, when I was running, uh, when Carl Lewis was running, and uh, those, we would have another somebody to run as fast as Usain Bolt did. Usain Bolt is the person. But we, before he came around, we said if somebody was six foot five and could get out of the blocks, there would be another, we'd, the world record would be unbelievable. Well, that's what happened. So you have the person's anatomy. Right. An ability, consider that. and yes. they have the speed, and now they're training in the right method, and so now that's why the records start falling. Right. So. Well, and and that element of just believing that it it is possible. Well, once somebody does it, right. it is possible. It is, and so, yes, I think that makes a big difference. So, you know, getting um, people interested in um, track and field. Well, I can, you know, I can say, you know, my parents track and field was not an option. If they, you know, if you want to be an athlete, you have to run track. Uh, because um, track is like the foundational sport of all athletics. That was a very strong philosophy um, of my parents. And so that was one thing, you know, if we, ran, if we were going to be a basketball player or a football player or, you know, whatever we were going to do, we were going to be running track. That was definitely not an option. So and I think that, um, I guess, I, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about what track does for other sports. Um, you know, how do you think that um, that foundational athleticism that you are training on day by day by day can help them in their other sports? So that's an excellent question because in track and field, when I teach a track and field class, we talk about energy systems and all the different types of energy systems you're using. And so if I were having a, um, I was talking to somebody about training a linebacker in football versus a lineman, what track event would mirror what a lineman does versus what a running back does versus what a, uh, uh, blocking uh, of safety does okay so if you look at the different kinds of things alignment doesn't need to be going out and going out there running you know 400s right you know <laughs> right. they need to be lifting weights and so forth so what is that well that's the discus right. that's the shot put mm-hmm. and so what's nice about those and what we did when i was at old miss is we tried to get all the athletes to come out the track so and they you know they still had to do spring football but we were able to get them strong without getting injured and that's one thing that track and field can do for you is get you strong yes. for your other sports. And if you've got a coach who understands what sport you're training for, so if you're training for soccer, you're training for basketball, what do you got to do in basketball? Sprints. So you do uh, sprinting types of things, 150s with a 50-meter jog. Right. What does that simulate? Right. What you're doing on the court. Right. So you train the way you're going to train for that other sport, but you use track and field to do that. And that's an mm-hmm. off-season sport where you get a lim- limited chance of getting injured. Mm-hmm. And you but put a competitive strength. element in it, too. Oh, absolutely. Well, a team sport, too. Right. Yes, definitely. It's a very much of a team. Um, you know, my that, that was my father's philosophy. He played football at University of Arkansas, but he also ran track. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize he was a dual-sport athlete um, while he was there. And, and he always credited, you know, that track and field was, was a big reason why, um, you know, he was fast and quick and strong and, and was successful. So how let's say, you, you know, you've got someone that running um, – You've got a parent out there that's listening, um, that's got a younger child. How how can they help kind of give a little, instill a love for running or instill, um, you know, going out and, and doing a little bit? It doesn't have to be for a mile or two miles, or but how can they help instill that form of exercise at a young age? At a very young age, I think it's sprint play. Yeah. Playing tag, playing capture the flag, playing things that you're running and you're moving through things. 
So one of the things I did with my cross-country team for people who didn't like running cross-country, but they loved playing games, we just played capture the flag. You know how far <laughs> you can run when you're playing capture the flag? Yeah. And, you oh, put, yes. and you put one flag a mile away from the other flag? <laughs> okay. It's good, yes. And then you have to pass it back and forth. And, but they're playing a game and they don't realize they're actually doing intervals. Right. You know, they're doing sprints here and then they're resting, they're doing sprints and they're resting. And they're being competitive. And they're being competitive. And they're enjoying it and they're having fun and, and camaraderie. And so all kinds of different games we would kind of play with, with kids, you know. Um, uh, there's one that I, I don't know where it is anymore, but we used to have one that I played with the junior high kids when I was mm-hmm. coaching at Greenwood. And everyone had different color bands on the wrist, and you'd throw, it up in the, throw a ball up in the air when it came down on that color. Everyone had to s- s- run away, and then they'd take, it and take the ball, and the, the person who didn't have that color would go and try to tag them with it. Right. But, so you're, you know, you're, <laughs> you're you're, all you're doing is running. That's right. You're running. So I'm getting done what I want to get done. But you're doing it and having fun. And then all of a sudden, then you start putting a little bit of training into it, getting into some other things. And, but having people pound miles and miles and miles out, unless the kid just loves it, probably isn't the best way to right. get into it. Now, if a parent loves it and the kids want to go with the parents, so you have parents who are you know, the Sunday sure. runner, they're the turkey trotters, and the kids mm-hmm. want to go out with them. You know, yes. That's a good way to get into them. My but kids always wouldn't. start with me at the yeah. turkey trot, yeah. but uh, they don't end with me. They leave you, right? <laughs> yeah, they've already eaten lunch by the time I cross well, the finish line. <laughs> well, i got a really good story. My grandson, he is, uh, one of them's uh, turning 12, and the other one is 10, and they ran the turkey trot the last time they came up. And the 12-year-old loves to run. That's what he wants to do. And so my son, uh, Caleb, was running with the 10-year-old. Well, they saw the 12-year-old up not too far away toward the finish line. So then he decides he wants to sprint and catch him. So there's a race toward the end. Right. <laughs> and then at the end, you know, you're supposed to get donuts and so forth. Right. And then Gage, my 10-year-old, said, all this for one donut? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't see Wait what it's worth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the other one loved it. He said, right. hey. But, yeah, you know, yeah. you get the other one. I don't see the worth in this. So yes. it's, it's sometimes it's innate. In this, what's an innate thing in, this, in, the, in sure. the kids? And what you got to do is find a way to nurture it. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that leads me perfectly into my next question. You've done a lot of research on performance enhancement, you know, not being satisfied. Um, what can people do to enhance performance, which that could be a whole show in itself. I just asked you a very... Um, loaded question. Yes, very loaded question. But what are some of the things that they can do? You know, let's talk um, in the off-season. Let's say an athlete is in the off-season. What are some of the things that they can focus on to enhance their overall performance? Well, strength training is one of the best things they can do. Uh, build, building lower body strength. Running hills. Um, my daughter used to laugh. Um, up or down? Up. Well, okay. we're, we're building strength. We <laughs> run up. We're, toward the end, we run down. <laughs> okay. We're trying to peak performance. My daughter used to get mad at me because I used to run run up the hill with tires tied to her back. <laughs> oh my goodness! So when she get, well, when you get stronger, so it's yes. all about resistance. It's all about well, overload. It paid off. She was well, extremely overload. successful. Your so kids were very talented. Yeah, it's all about overload and what you're trying to get them to do over in the season. But probably the thing that I regret most is. Uh, when we, in the 70s, we didn't have nutrition. Well, you have nutrition, but it wasn't. So my coach, when I was in Washita Baptist University, and I remember I started getting a little bit into nutrition, started trying to figure it out, and it was my sophomore year, and uh, we went in to, for a pregame meal, and the pregame meal was steak. Oh, my and I goodness. said, and I'm supposed to run an 800 and a 1500 <laughs> on steak? I said, I need some carbs. Right. right. So I went back to the back and talked to the uh, cafeteria person I said can you make me some pancakes right and my coach didn't understand because he was a he was a shot putter sure. and a football player and so steak is what they wanted right right and so you know 
I fun, we finally got them to change, but that was there was no idea of what so kind nutrition, of things. So nutrition, so important. Absolutely. So important. And if we had really had a lot of things, I think a lot of the kids in the 70s with the nutrition kinds of things now and the recovery drinks that you have now may have actually performed even better and having the types of facilities that they have now. So. Right. Well, and one of your friends, Todd Harbour, who yeah. set the American record in the mile, <laughs> tell him what his pre-performance so, meal was. <laughs> so he was in, uh, we were in Norway and, uh, Oslo, and he ran the, uh, the mile and got, I think he got fifth or sixth in the mile, set the American record for collegiates mm-hmm. at the time. At 3.50. Yeah, and so he had eaten uh, um, Kentucky Fried Chicken beforehand. And so when he ate Kentucky Fried Chicken, <laughs> he said, that's my pregame meal. And so from that point on, no matter where we went, we went to about seven other places. We had to find a Kentucky Fried Chicken. That is not good nutrition. Right, right. But, you know, and no disrespect to Kentucky Fried Chicken. No, I love your coleslaw. I love, but you not know, pre-race. You but, but yes, to, to eat that race. and then go run, no way. But that's what he liked. I, for some reason, I had ran a really good race when I ran a PR and uh, personal record. And I had drink, I had gone someplace to some shake place. I had a big old milkshake before the, you know, the night before. So that was my free thing for a while until I decided that's probably not the best idea in the world. <laughs> but <laughs> well, we, had no, we had no, we had no one teaching us. We had no nutritionist. Right. Now, for example, most of the people that you see that are going into trials and they have a nutritionist, they have a masseuse, they have all these people right. now that back then we didn't really have. You didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Yes, you just kind of ate what you wanted to eat. Well, like, now, anything. I would, I would assume that hydration was always a priority, even well, then. To be honest with you, besides the shake that you just told me before, about. before Gatorade. Those kind of things. And some people say, well, that's got too much sugar. Well, actually, you know, if you read all the stuff on Gatorade and the, how the uh, Florida Gators played better after they were doing it later, we had salt tablets. Mm. So they gave us salt tablets, like the military. So you, during cross country and then you're in Arkansas and in the hots, you had salt tablets and you drank water to help you retain the water. Oh, my goodness. None of those are good ideas. Not a, not a good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're giving you the list of what not, not a good to idea. Do. <laughs> and now what to do. Um, so tell me about, you know, I always felt like it was really important to have um, a great meal the night before. What mm-hmm. would you suggest the well, night before so someone would have When we performance? learned a little bit more and so forth, my kids would come over and have, well, I'm sure you did in basketball stuff too, but you'd have some carbo-loading kinds of dinners. And, yes. you know, you have maybe a little bit of protein. But, uh, you know, um, we always had the, uh, I always like chocolate milk for recovery and those kind of things. Oh, and, so, and who has the best tasting chocolate? Highland <laughs> well, Dairy. There you go. <laughs> but uh, we liked that, and we loved uh, uh, ice baths, which we never did ice baths right. when I was in college. You yes. know, first thing you got into it, but ice baths are amazing. My for that. daughter swears by ice, ice baths. She's yeah. a long-distance runner, yeah. and... I and so is my son, but he he has he won't do the ice bath, but she swears by it. She said it just rejuvenates you and it's wonderful. Yep, I'll yep. take her word for it. But I'm not a nutritionist, but I read a lot of nutrition books. But so I w- wouldn't want to tell people sure, what to eat. Sure. But there are a lot of things you can find out there right now as you as you're looking that can really really help you. Yes. What well, we I mean we got so many things out there like the the, the Gatorade and so forth like that that, are, that right. help rehydrate. Okay, so so we are, you know, we're talking a little bit about, um, you know, different athletes. We touched on this earlier about individualized mm-hmm. workouts. Um, one of the things that I think is is really important, too, is to be able to get to know your athletes and be able to motivate them um, because everybody is motivated and inspired differently, correct? So if you were going to motivate someone to, you know, right before a race, um, what are some of the techniques that you would use to, to get them in the right 
frame of mind before the race begins? Most of the time with track and field athletes, you leave them alone. Because <laughs> they're, they're in a pre-race mode. Yeah. But pre-race, so workout-wise, okay, my athletes used to get upset with me because I never post my workouts. I always bring my workouts to the, to the, to the workout. And uh, so my 800-meter runners, for example, you know, I may have three groups because some groups were better 400-meter runners, others were better 1,500-meter runners, but we're training for the 800, so we come at it from two different angles. Come from a strength and come from a speed side. And uh, if I, I call it coaching with the eye. So if I give a person the workout and I know what they've done two or three days before, but then I'm watching them on the track and I don't like what I see, like their gates off, they uh, seem to be in a bad mood, something like that, sometimes I'll stop the workout give them different kinds of things, or put on my arm around them, say, what's going on? Well, I just had a fight with my girlfriend, or my grandfather died, or, you know, something. Yeah. I got to see in the class, something like that. Yeah. So we'll walk around and talk, and after they get done talking, then I'll give them two or three other things to do, and then we get back into the workout. Right. But, you know, trying to get, get them centered to refocus on what we're trying to do. But sometimes they just need to vent. Sometimes they need to do those kind of things. And you got other, some athletes, you, you, you yell at a little bit, and others, you have to put your arm around. Right. You know? I love that. I mean, that differentiated motivation to me is so important. It's so important. Any coaches that, that are out there listening, um, you know, adopt this philosophy of being able to get to know your athletes and, and being aware, aware of mm-hmm. what they're going through. Um, you can get so much more out of them. Absolutely. Because they'll run through a wall for you. The, well, your athletes will run through a wall for you because they know you care. Yeah, if they think you care, they'll do what you need to do. And you, you can show them you care very easily just by taking the time to get to know what, they, what's, what they're about, what they're doing. Right. That kind of thing. I mean, I, I had one little girl who was just, just kept getting upset about being able to do some, these intervals. So I know not all coaches do this, but at the time I decided to do that, I said, just grab a hold of my back. <laughs> <laughs> and we ran a couple of intervals. I said, this is all you're trying to do. This is the pace. Right. It's not that difficult. You can do it. So you're holding yeah. on right here. You can do it. Okay. Super impressive that you could actually do the running. With yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, at that point in time, <laughs> yeah. before I got my I two, did, new, two new knees. I did track and field once, but I'm like, somebody's got a time. You know, <laughs> somebody's got to be the yeah, timer. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that, yes. And, and I think, I think that's so important to be able to recognize that. You don't just, um, post a workout and say, good luck. You, you know, you're in there, you're watching them, you're paying attention, like you said, to their gait, to their stride, um, to their body language. Um, you can read athletes if, if you take the time to do so. Well, so one of the, re- one of the reasons I never posted workouts is I would find that you have some athletes who are, look through it and then they'd change what they're going to eat that day. Mm-hmm. And then, I don't want to puke today or whatever. And, right. and they'd, they'd look at it, and then, then if they didn't get through it, then they're upset, or they did, thought they didn't accomplish what they need to accomplish. So it gave me the opportunity to say, okay, we're doing, you know, 12 400s a day, and we're doing them with, you know, 75 seconds rest, okay? I could always do something different, change things up. If I say, we're doing six, and then we'll give you a lap, another little bit of rest, do six more, but this person's not doing well, I'll change it. I want you to do that. Right. You're doing 200s now. Why am I not doing it? Because well, this is your part of your workout. Right. So I can change for a person. They don't, know, they don't know what their workout was. Like I now can change because they weren't looking just what I want yeah. them to do. And the thing is, I don't want to, I call it digging a hole for the athlete. So if they're not performing well, then all of a sudden you can basically get overtrain them. When you overtrain them, then they can't respond the next time. Right. So, you know, I'd rather lose a day of training than overtrain a person. Yeah. I'm kind of still stuck on the 12 400s. <laughs> that kind of scared me. I'm gonna. I'm actually gonna bring our, our studio producer Logan Weber in um, 
on this because you were a track athlete. Yeah, I, I ran track for, for two years in high school after I got cut from the high school baseball team my freshman year. It doesn't really make sense to be a left-handed second baseman. So my, my, <laughs> my, my baseball coach was like, you know, you're, you had our fastest home to 90, so why don't you go try out for track? I was like, okay. So went and asked my track coach, and he's like, you look like you would be perfect for the 800, the 4x8, the mile, and the 2-mile. And I had no idea what it meant. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Little did I know what I was in for. <laughs> well, that's incredible. But it, and great that you had a coach like, you know, like, like Coach Masterson's mm-hmm. talking about is being able to look at you as an individual and selecting what's best for you. I think that's incredible. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I had a and I you had went a coach. to state. Yeah, I yes. did. I, I had a coach that was a state champion in the 800. He ran at Central Missouri. So, you know, he had a pretty, pretty strong career himself. And, and saw me as, as some lanky 16 year old kid and said, yeah, you'll be pretty good at the 800, I think. And, and I had no idea. And I think the first time I ran an 800 was, I was right around 250 or 255 and I was exhausted. And I was like, that's so bad. It's awful. And, and he worked with me and he, he, he knew something that I didn't. And eventually I got to a point where uh, I ran the best I ever ran was a 203. So nowhere near what he was running. But, you know, I still put that as a point of pride. Is incredible. <laughs> yeah. That is incredible. And and what I enjoy hearing you say is about, you know, it's about your coach and paying attention and mm-hmm. motivating you. And I think, you know, I could speak for a lot of your athletes that they felt the same way. You made them do things that they didn't think they could do. And that's probably the biggest compliment I could give a coach. Well, and um, I coached at Evangel for a little while, and what's kind of funny is there were certain workouts they called dock status. Mm-hmm. And so if you were able to get through those, you got to wear a new pair of shorts that had dock status on them. Because you completed this hey, hard workout. whatever it takes to motivate them, right? But coaching to me, what I love about it more than anything else, is I'm, I'm taking something that I'm teaching to grow. Yes. It's like plant, you grow a plant. Mm-hmm. And you put the seeds in, and you store it, and then you nurture it, and you nurture it, and then all of a sudden you have something that's beautiful and successful. That's kind of what I look at when I'm coaching. Is that right. you couldn't do this now? Three years down the road, look where you're at. Right, you plant seeds. So I had a kid at Evangel who was a quarter miler, and he was running two ten something like that. And when we finished his senior year, he qualified for the NAIA nationals and made the finals. Oh, that's incredible. He ran one fifty five, but cool. it took time. It took time. He had to believe in the process. Right, always the process. Right. He had to believe what he's doing because he was doing. He was a 400 meter runner that we trained from that direction, and we had two other people training from the 1500 down. And then every once in a while, they'd work out together. Wow, incredible! Well, thank you for what you've done for so many athletes and so many students. Um, you know, because I, you know, you have the same philosophy in the classroom. You know, hmm. you, you are a coach in the classroom as well, and so thank you for that. We appreciate everything, the impact that you've made. Um, I have always admired your coaching style, and I've always admired what you've what your athletes have been able to accomplish. It's it's amazing to me. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Yes. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you coming on and sharing your perspective tonight. Um, that's always appreciated. I, I appreciate that. So please. Well, and that's the reason for all that stuff in graduates. It comes from coaching, but now you're, you're giving people opportunity. Now we're trying to give people opportunity in another, other areas. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here tonight. I hope you can come back sometime well, soon. You just holler, holler at me and we'll be... We can catch up again. Yes, I would love that. I would love that. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Jerry Masterson, um, one, of, one of the best track and field coaches I have ever witnessed. I'm so glad that you were with us tonight. And we're going to move into our post-game talk, and our post-game talk is sponsored by Story Construction, providing high-quality industrial and commercial construction since 1966. Go to story, S-T-O-R-E-E, dot com for more information. We also want to thank Springfield Yard Cards, 
Go to SGF Yard Cards for more information on how you can celebrate your special life moments and put a personal touch on them by displaying a unique greeting in your own front yard. Um, don't forget, you can go to a acoachesperspective.com uh, for show lineups and for information coming up next week. Actually, the next two weeks, we're going to have some conversations with some coaches out of St. Louis. Coach Bill Gunn, Coach Shane Matson, two of the very best coaches um, that I have ever been around and, and was able to witness a lot of success that they had on the court, but also off the court. You better buckle up for this one. So I got a chance to go to St. Louis and meet with them, and we had a terrific time. So that will be the next two weeks you'll be able to listen to Coach Gunn and Coach Matson. So now for our post-game talk. All right, so running is a skill that I have always envied. I know we're not supposed to be envious, right? Um, I am a very grateful person, blah, blah, blah. But runners are impressive to me. The freedom of coasting the track, pavement, sand, or wherever you're running has to be a rush. It has to be a great feeling. I, I really can't get past my lungs needing more oxygen. But I'm going to keep trying. Um, and, I, and my challenge for you is to get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone on occasion and extend yourself. See what limits you can exceed. It will make you grow and develop in directions that can be very rewarding. And that's how champions do it. And I'm going to remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human. Live your life like a champion. Live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been A Coach's Perspective.